Welcome to the Almost 30 Podcast. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Krista. And we're your hosts, guides, and friends on this path. Almost 30 is not about your age. It's about the feeling. All of us are almost something, seeking community and resources to support the rumblings of transformation within us. Our conversations are deep dives, shepherded by our insatiable curiosity and desire for connection, enduring inspiration, and a sense of levity that we can all benefit from. We're looking to find the magic in the human experience. Buckle up, baby. Your evolution is waiting. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. My name is Krista Williams and my best friend, Lindsay Simsick, is sitting right next to me and I'm so glad you're here. Sitting right next to you, baby. Welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you. Maybe this is your first time listening. Welcome. Thank the friend that sent you, but maybe you're an OG and you know the deal and how long we've been doing this. About seven years now Mm -hmm. and really just are having a blast evolving with you all and exploring topics and questions and life stuff that we feel is really important to be able to have like honest conversations about. We're in New York right now. We had an event on Friday at Soho House Mm -hmm. with the amazing women from Clear STEM. We talked about manifestation and relationships and it was such a pleasure Mm -hmm. to be with people in person again. The vibes were immaculate. Immaculate. It was so, so special. And I feel like when we put out the bat signal (laughs) that we're going to be doing an in-person event, it's always so nice to see who shows up and yeah. kind of like what the energy is. It's always good, but I'm always just so curious based city to city. And we had some OGs who we've met before who have been listening forever. We've had some people that we've only met virtually in our membership or in sacredness, et cetera. And seeing them in person for the first time was so special. And then like new listeners who have just started listening to Almost 30 and the sentiment amongst many of them who I talked to was like, yo, everyone here, like, I want to be friends with everyone here. Like, I feel like I'm making friends. And they were like surprised. And I forget that a lot of times when you go to events, it's either very like, we're just here to see the thing and we don't really talk to anyone new. But that is so not the vibe for our events. We definitely encourage connection with people you haven't met before. And just the overall intimacy, I think like, lends itself to people being like, ah, I'm just feeling relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. There's this one events organization (laughs) that does events and it's they are an events organization and they have these events and everyone is always like dressed to the fucking nines, but no one is ever like talking or nice to each other. So it's like very Instagrammable, very like beautiful very aesthetic but it's not actually something you feel comfortable at something you get a lot of value from something you like feel that deep heartfelt connection sure and it's like there's such a difference between events that are instagram aesthetic and instagram pleasing and we try and be both actually and events where you actually feel like you're comfortable like you're getting a lot of value like there was authenticity like it felt like a a very new and unique experience And I think within this talking about manifestations and and relationships, we actually had the episode being shared on the show. We shared things we've never shared before. We talked about things we've never talked about before. And we wanted to also bring in like the live coaching element so that we could work with some people in our audience just in that like very unique, like in the moment type of way. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it was just so nice. And it just reminded me of the power of like being with people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
if you don't know, we went on tour for about two years. And so we really got that very consistently for quite a long time. And slowly but surely, we've been kind of like just planting little events in LA and New York and in between. And hopefully we'll rev up around when we launch the book as well. But yeah, I think after 2020 and that whole period of people just, yeah, feeling really disconnected, feeling really lonely, there is a revival happening. And just shout out to Danielle and Kaylee of ClearStem, the founders. It's really, really fulfilling to be working alongside two women who, yes, are badasses in business, all the things like that goes without saying. And we are able to connect on that level. But also they work just as hard on themselves individually and their relationship. And so I think that's something that we really wanted to emphasize in this event too. We didn't want it to be about entrepreneurship, how we started our businesses, all the things, because the true secret sauce to any of this success kind of lives in the realms that we were speaking to, the relationships, how we are actually manifesting or how we approach that. And so much of the way that I see manifestation is so much less about what do I want to get out of life? What is the thing that I want? And more like the alignment focus and the allowing of what is naturally good and coming to me and what is naturally part of my path and plan and not resisting that. And so we talked a lot about that. It was just a pleasure, but it's been so nice to be in New York City. I'm going out to dinner late. <laughs> I'm doing my thing. I know. What's been a highlight and a low light? So on Saturday when we went to dinner, you know, Peeps are just trying to get me to hang out with dudes and talk to dudes, and I'm not. And I was like, everybody, I don't even go to dinner past 8 p.m. ever. So this is huge. <laughs> the fact I'm out to dinner past 8 p.m. Meanwhile, I'm in bed thinking about Krista at dinner, wondering how the heck how I'm she's doing staying it. awake. <laughs> I'm like, I'm having wine every once in a while, mm -hmm. and I'm like, this is already big enough that I've made this much progress, where I'm staying out till like 2 I'm going out. I'm going to bars. So I'm like, let's just take it slow. Baby steps. Baby and steps. And also, it, it never, at least my personality style when I was dating, I never liked someone forcing someone on me. Like, oh, I want you to meet this guy. My and then it's like stop. freaking pressure. It's a, it's a lot. And I understand the good intention. But it never feels great. It really doesn't. So I totally get that. I met someone that someone was like, I want you to meet. And I was like, I went up to him and I was like, are we supposed to fall in love now? Because I just felt like there was so much building up on it totally. that just feels. But yeah, it's been it's been so much fun because I think it's so beautiful in New York City in the summer. And we were with a dear friend that was staying with us. And yeah, it's been nice. But I think yesterday I was a little bit raggedy from the city. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're like in the city. And even I, I told Sean last night, I was like, oh, going into the city every day is a vibe. Because I'm in Brooklyn in yeah. my little bird's nest. And I'm like whoa, I really have to be mindful of what I'm picking up. Mm -hmm. I have to like kind of clear at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Nothing crazy, but it's like this city, it's loud, buzzing. Like it's just, it can be a lot. Yeah. So yeah, you coming from LA and yeah, just us doing the most. It's, it's quite a bit. Yeah, but we're we're used to it. Yeah. But it was such a pleasure to have Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She's a board certified in family medicine. She completed a combined research and clinical fellowship in geriatrics and nutritional sciences from Washington University in St. Louis. She completed her undergraduate training in nutritional sciences at the University of Illinois. 
and she's a subject matter expert and educator in the practical application of protein types and levels for health performance, aging, and disease prevention. So she is just someone that is deeply researched, deeply in this space. She focuses a lot on muscle and protein, and she has a new book out now, which we talk about, but we really wanted to dig in with her on a variety of topics. And I think this is a conversation that might be different than other conversations you've had her on because we like to approach things less from the super scientific and more from the emotional, spiritual, applicable parts and also focus on our target demographic. But it was really interesting. I feel like I follow her and I follow other people in this space speaking to, yeah, just kind of this less of a stigma around weightlifting around, you know, getting adequate protein, which is a lot more than people think. And so to sit down with her, especially as a woman who's been through many stages of her life where she, you know, was vegan at one point, she was going through pregnancy, like just various aspects of like change and been able to study and clinically observe the connection between your muscular skeletal system, your cognitive health, your gut health, your ability to age in a way that is healthy and still stay strong when you're older. It's it's really, really fascinating. And what I do love too, yes, we definitely go into more of the emotional, spiritual, et cetera, but lots of science here. So Mm -hmm. if you're a science nerd, like we are in those moments where it's like those facts that really just anchor us, she is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, we talked a lot about types of protein, the importance of protein, why we should focus so much on building muscles, how muscle building ability declines as we age. We talked about why protein and muscle is so important for your blood sugar, for longevity and so many different elements. We talked about the obesity epidemic in America. We talked about semi-glutide, ozempic, for all you Ozies obsessed (laughs) people that want to know about her perspective on it and peptides and different things that are more like cutting edge. So Mm -hmm. if that's going to be something that triggers you or bothers you when she's talking about that, you might want to just fast forward to the end. It's at the end of the episode. I know it's such a hot button topic that a lot of people are talking about, whether positively or negatively. We just basically asked the question and let her share what she thought. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is. Yeah, that is that's an interview for you. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's facts. We're here to ask questions and just, yeah, you know, listen. we don't need the answer that we need to hear yes. or that we believe. So it was really, really interesting. So the new book is called Forever Strong. It is coming out very, very soon. This episode is coming out right before the book comes out. So be sure to pre-order it. Go to her website, drgabriellelion.com. You can pre-order and she has a bunch of free resources, whether it's guides or recipes for you. So you'll get some goodies when you pre-order the book. Mm-hmm. DrGabrielleLion.com. You can follow her on Instagram as well, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And just want to thank her. She's amazing mm-hmm. and sweet and kind and present. And it was just a pleasure to sit down with her. She also is the doctor of our dear love, Organic Olivia. Yeah. So you're going to hear from OO's doctor herself on the information. So thank you for tuning into Almost 30. Thank you for subscribing, for rating and reviewing the show. It means so, so, so much to Lindsay and I. It's helped us grow. We have courses and programs at almost30.com, whether it's the life edit, sacredness of being single, our amazing membership. Happy to support you there. Morning Microdose is our daily show that has our hits of five to 10 minutes. And then Almost 30 podcast on TikTok and Instagram. 
We love you. We love you so much. We'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, therapy, y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. Okay, I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him, still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time. But let me just say, this is new. Like, this is a new type of audio that um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future, um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 
60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. First of all, I'm grateful you're here mm-hmm. in person. Krista and I, to be able to like sit down with people mm-hmm. in person is a- It means a lot. It means a lot. And I know you traveled, so thank you. I was thinking on the way over here, I was thinking about Krista and I, how we grew up in terms mm-hmm. of what we saw nutritionally, diet, fads, trends, all the things, and how much it has shaped kind of our perspective now of like going to the extreme of like being afraid of fat and- the whole sugar craze and all the things. Sugar-free, carb-free only. And it's become such a liberating moment, I feel like, in the moment that we're living in where so much truth and partly thanks to your work is coming to light where we're actually hearing things that are like, oh, this is actually truth for our bodies and not just something that's being sold to us. And I was curious, kind of your experience growing up as a young adult in that world as well. What did you fall for? What did you kind of get mixed up in that kind of landed yeah. you where you are now? Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you both for having me. It means so much. You two are the voice of a generation and that is incredible. So the opportunity to be here with you and to share this stuff is critical and it's critical because you are the way information gets out there. So I want to start with that. We were hoping you would. (laughs) We're like, can Uh, you repeat that compliment? Yeah, they uh, slipped me a five in my uh, Uber. I'm like, here's your script. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, You guys just can't see it because it's parked here. That means Uh, a lot. So so thank you so much. And when I was a younger woman, I was also very confused. And that's actually what led to my obsession and work within the nutrition space. I actually graduated high school early in three and a half years and I moved to Hawaii. Spent a lot of time on the land, at the beach, just really connecting. And it made me, at the time, just feel so connected to the earth. And I started on this journey thinking, how is what I'm eating actually impacting my body? I had a leg up. And the leg up was I moved in with my godmother. And she is a functional medicine nutritionist OG. Her name is Liz Lipsky, and she was the generation before Mark Hyman. We're talking really an innovator and really thought about how do we deeply use food as medicine. So I watched her see patients, and I was really interested in vegetarianism, being macrobiotic, which was eating with the seasons, and anything that you could think of, whole natural foods. Over a period of time, I ended up really not feeling well. And I struggled for so long in my late teens and early 20s. Why I'm doing everything right. Why am I still feeling so badly? And really that led to the study of nutritional sciences. And I studied under a world-leading protein expert. And it really began to shift what I was seeing that was out there in the media. And I think young women particularly are more at risk to go for the next juice cleanse or more at risk to potentially lean on a higher vegetarian style diet 
but the repercussions of that later on can be pretty devastating if not done well. And did you ever have restrictive tendencies? Because I feel like for a lot of women in our generation, and you talk about this in the book, but there's such an emotional component with food. My gosh. Where, you know, we're, there's a lot of transition, there's a lot of changes. So not only is there the added pressure of looking a certain way for your partner in life, or because it is such a time of social media or being perceived by other people, but it's also that correlation between emotional eating and food just seems to be the totally. most heavy. So what was your relationship emotionally to food? It was really bad. Even in Hawaii, because that's interesting to go, because from Ohio where I was, it was like very repressed, you know, just kind of the way it was. So I did rely on food as like an emotional mm. outlet for me. That was really how I was able to like control things, express, feel, emote. But if you're in Hawaii, what I was, agree. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I would say at the time I was always just thinking about how could I eat the freshest. So when I was in Hawaii, the emotional tide eating hadn't kicked in. It was only when I came back to the mainland of that course. it really started. Yeah, I've actually never had any opportunity to talk about this in any kind of capacity. Welcome to Almost 30, baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. At the time, I was just really focused on eating very clean. Farmer's market, nothing packaged. I wasn't really eating any animal products. And over that year, I developed uh, yeast overgrowth. I couldn't eat something without having to nap. And I couldn't figure out, here I am so young and healthy and I'm working out and I'm having to nap multiple times during the day every time I eat. Fast forward to college, that's when the emotional eating and the emotional relationship really kicked in. And it, it seemed as if it happened overnight. I don't even know how it happened or why it happened. But it, I think that in retrospect, my food was so unbalanced that it left me open and vulnerable mm. to a emotional hook. It, it really left me vulnerable because I didn't know the right thing to do. And not only did I not know the right thing to do, I would take a box of raisins and just eat the whole canister of raisins. Okay, so you're, it's maybe not pizza, but it was just I was feeding myself. And again, I think that part of it was the poor behaviors. It, it wasn't initially mental. Inability to regulate blood sugar. It was the inability to be able to manage the nutrients coming in that started it. It wasn't a top down. I think it was a gut up approach mm. that happened. College is such an interesting time where all of a sudden you have this freedom all of a sudden you yeah. have these, you have food available to you. Obviously, it's a little bit different at every school, but I just remember, oh, wow. Oh, like I, know, I have like the dining hall available and it was like I had been unleashed as if I hadn't same. had a, a full meal in years. <laughs> and it's like this very, and I can eat at different times of the day. I can eat late night. I can order late night. And I felt the same. I just felt a little unhinged when it came to food. And I didn't make the correlation between how I was feeling and what I was eating. It was almost like the eating was hopefully going to help the feeling. And I didn't understand the cause. I was napping a lot too in mm -hmm. college. I think it was the sugar. The blood sugar, yeah. Right. Yeah, I was eating Fro-Yo. We had Fro-Yo. Oh, yeah. But it's it, low fat. It was low fat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was eating, yeah, it was just gross. I love how you say that it made you feel a bit unhinged. What ultimately happens too is that we are very tribal in nature mm -hmm. and the women around us, I remember the first time I saw someone emotionally eat and it was so foreign to me. 
and we were all living together. It was a bunch of girls living together. Yeah. And I was just thinking, wow, so is this a way to handle or manage stress? What was the experience? Can you paint the picture? Yeah. I was in a house with a handful of girls and one of the girls, I think she was an exchange student and we were all hanging out. We were doing a lot of hanging out at the clubs, whatever it was <laughs> a season anyway. Yeah. And she brought a bag of licorice. It was this from, I don't know, some kind of fancy licorice with all the different colors. And I watched and she said to me, I'm just so stressed. Do you want to eat this with me? Mm, and yeah. I had never experienced that before. I'd never thought about it before. But it was at that moment watching behaviors of other people thinking, oh, well, yeah, this sounds fun. Let's do that. Wow. Yeah, you're like, good idea. Everyone else is doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's the group think of being in college where it is a bunch of women together. I just remember us policing each other. Mm. Kind of like, what's she eating? How much am oh. I eating? How much just the it was like psychic policing. It wasn't like saying anything, but you're always just kind of gauging what you're doing compared to other people. And really, I think during that time was that because there wasn't a focus on protein, because there was a focus on low fat, healthy, I don't know. It was just low fat, high sugar, it seems. I think we were all starving. And that's what I really that's exactly realized. I was starving. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing that now. I'm seeing mm -hmm. a reemergence of that now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm, say more about that. Again, we were talking kind of offline. I have my practice has a lot of innovators and mavericks. And this is an amazing time because you both are innovators. And I have a handful of younger women in my practice. And when they came to me, and do you guys know Organic Olivia? She's yeah, my home. Course. I was <laughs> just texting her. Okay, we'll send her yes. a picture. She's been a patient for a very long Love. time. Okay. And her, her body has changed. Well, well, you should ask her why that is. We are going to have her on, so we'll talk about we, you. Well, <laughs> you should ask her why it looks that is. She looks yes. amazing. But when she came to me, she was doing the same things. And she talks about this. So this yes, is not the, a private conversation. She was doing the same things that I was doing when I was very young. And it was a lot of fruits, a lot of just organic food. She was afraid of meat. She was afraid of protein. She was significantly heavier and her blood marker showed it. And now she looks insane. And mm -hmm. now she looks insane. Yep. And there is a healthy relationship with food. And part of that took convincing because the narrative is so strong and so impactful for the younger generation. And when you correct for dietary protein, will it change everything? No, but will it change a lot of things? Yes, it will because it will allow you, there's something called the protein leverage hypothesis. And that is that we will continue to feed until we meet our amino acid needs. And the amino acids, as everyone knows, are the building blocks of protein. But the reality is, is when you're eating, even if it's a whole foods diet and it's low in protein, you will still be feeding. You will still be hungry. So you will begin to overconsume calories to be able to meet those amino acid needs. Is it easier to do on processed, highly palatable food, totally. But what this creates is it not just creates this body dysregulation, it creates a lot of mental dysregulation for women. And I really think it also pushes women towards eating disorders mm -hmm. and disordered relationship with food. Think about it, what, hap what happens when your blood sugar ebbs and flows, you have to have stress hormones that also spike up. So you might not actually be stressed, you might have low blood sugar. That's why I think about my anxiety. Just a lot of times when I had 
you know, just gone through phases. And I'm not saying that everyone that has anxiety, this is what their experience was. But I think a lot of my anxiety and stress was related to like blood sugar dysregulation or even depression because I'd be like, I'm up, I'm down, I'm sleepy, I'm like lethargic, I can't really manage my emotions. Mm -hmm. And so much of it was because I was just eating so poorly and my blood sugar was just so dysregulated that I couldn't really get a handle of things. And I couldn't really find myself in like a stable rhythm of energy or a stable rhythm of like healthy hormones and emotions that felt really good and that felt like me. Yeah. So what's happening in the body when we are not getting enough proper protein? So the majority of people are getting the minimum amount of protein. But again, that's not necessarily enough to optimize for blood sugar regulation. Mm. That's not necessarily enough to optimize for longevity. Is that based pregnancy? on USDA regulation or what good is question. These are all such great questions. The recommended amount of protein is 0.8 grams. And it says recommended dietary allowance. That's a terrible name because it should be the recommended minimum amount of dietary protein, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram. For the listener at home, the average female is getting around 60 grams of dietary protein a day. The average American. I recommend the minimum for any kind of health or body composition be at least 100. Just to kind of start. And to your question, what happens when we don't have enough protein? It becomes very difficult to have the body rebuild and repair. So protein turnover is going throughout the whole body. Mm. You as an expecting mother are doing a lot more protein turnover, but our liver, our gut, everything is turning over all the time. Protein is required for neurotransmitter production. You know, when we say proteins, there's 20 different amino acids. And these different amino acids all do different things. For gut health, there's mucin production, things, right? So there's an amino acid called threonine, and it helps with gut health. There's an amino acid called arginine that helps with vasodilation, meaning for blood pressure. There's all different things that these individual nutrients, which we collectively know as protein, do. The most important thing to understand is on a very high level, when you are not balancing your meals, you are going to be at the whim of the ebb and flow of your blood sugar. You are also going to set yourself up for a body composition you're probably not going to be happy with. And what do you generally see in terms of body composition if people aren't getting enough protein? Enough protein. And also, it's complex in terms of like, are they strength training? Are they doing high intensity cardio? Things like that, but just specifically with the protein. Yeah. Well, first of all, when you are younger, you have a lot more flexibility. Mm. So for the under 30 crew, you guys are still in really good. I'm assuming that's where you got the name. Oh, Almost yeah. 30. Yes, but yes. we are over. Yeah, we're <laughs> so I asked, I was thinking about this on the way over. I said, so what happens when they're over 30? Do they change okay. the name? But yes. It's <laughs> Everyone asks. <laughs> but I wasn't going to. We'll keep it for so, now. Yes. There, there you have it. When we are thinking about what we see in individuals that are not getting enough protein is that you actually could be smaller. You don't have to be overweight or obese, but you will have low muscle mass. You'll see kind of the skinny fat, like really thin, but kind of mushy. And it's just not ideal. And this has nothing to do with looks, right? This is all about what is the health of your muscle. And that becomes a challenge because when you are young, this is the time to really train. This is your opportunity. You know how they always talk about bone health? This is also your opportunity to put on healthy skeletal muscle. Can you always build healthy skeletal muscle? Yes. But is it easier as you get older? It's not. Right. I mean, when I say older, 
it's just more challenging versus if you take what you have now and you optimize it and you protect it, then you have more flexibility. And that's why it's so important. And that's actually why I was really excited to talk to you because social media is amazing and influence is amazing in multiple ways. The ways that it is amazing is information can get out there at speeds as if we've never seen it. I used to have to go to the library with the card freaking catalog <laughs> and then go to the journal section of the library where it smelled exponentially like mold and Larry's in the corner yelling at me to put everything, whatever, you put this back, <laughs> Gabrielle, you've taken out 27 journals and could you at least put them back? But there was a time where I would have to take those, go through it, read it, it and that took a ton of time. Now what we see is you can go on PubMed, you can go on Google Scholar, the access to information is different than it's ever been. And it doesn't mean that all that information is good. In fact, the amount that's coming out, it would probably say it's quantity over quality now. So everybody has access to research and the flooding of information and the flooding of noise, this chaos making machine makes it very confusing for people. So now for the first time ever, we're having people with a voice who are not necessarily experts in a space speaking about mm -hmm. things that trickles down to their parents, to their audience. And I'm afraid for the next generation. I'm afraid of the information that we are going to see with this demonization of protein and muscle that we are going to see an epidemic of osteoporosis like we've never seen. We are going to see epidemics of disabilities, physical disabilities that we've never seen before because we are living in a world that seems to be moving more towards extremes. Yeah, it is so interesting. I was thinking about this yesterday because I saw something where someone, there's this new rise of fake podcasts where people will just have like a microphone and headset and not actually have a podcast, but just be talking into a podcast as if they're podcasters. It's very interesting. And they'll just be like spitting. And they'll post on social media? Yeah, they'll post on social mm. media. So it's like, it's almost as if they were guests or something and then they'll read stuff and they were reading something. I'm like, you have no qualifications to say what you're saying. You're literally reading something that someone else wrote and it's just insane. I was like, wow, this is, I can imagine how frustrating it would be if I was someone that had deep qualifications and research, at least for me for someone to come on the seat and be saying things that they were not qualified to do and people to be listening to them. And I do feel like our generation is the most susceptible. When I was in my 20s, like anything, I tried everything. Like I was, especially we were new on the scene. We were in our early 20s. We were just starting the podcast. We were mostly health and wellness during that time. So we were being exposed to basically every diet yeah. and every type of diet. And we were just trying it. Why do you think that age in the 20s and the women that are listening to the podcast, why do you think they're so susceptible to information? They're open-minded. They're open-minded and they're hungry for information. They're most susceptible for anything. They're most susceptible for any kind of manipulation. As someone that has your experience in the way that you teach, in the way that you share information, focusing on muscle growth and focusing on protein was something that you decided to really lean in on as like something that impacts the whole. Yeah. And so why is that? Like, why was that the path that you chose as like your main mission and message, which is helpful because it's so clear? that impacts everything. It chose me. Mm -hmm. It chose me. I have no doubt that this is the mission that I was placed on here to deliver. And I'm going to tell you why that is. I 
serendipitously have this godmother who is an innovator in the experience of nutrition and really understanding. Again, before functional medicine, before kind of this whole thing. Then I went to the University of Illinois and I happened to land in the nutrition class of a man named Dr. Donald Lehman. Dr. Donald Lehman happens to be a world-leading protein research expert. This is what he's done. He's contributed to the concept of how much protein that we eat at a meal, the things that we take for granted. He came out of his lab, literally discovered the mechanisms as to why this would work, the biomarkers, and the implications that that then has on the world. So I studied under him for four years and we did research and we looked at overweight women and what would happen as these women were changing nutritional diets and, you know, it was all very fun. Then went off to medical school. I knew at that time that I was very interested. I was a nutrition science major. So I was very interested in nutritional sciences, very interested in muscle at the time and protein because this is what he was doing. Fast forward to medical school, fast forward to residency, was still always very interested then I did a fellowship. So a fellowship is post-training after, so I did a two years of psychiatry, three years of family medicine, and then I did a fellowship in nutritional sciences, geriatrics, and I was doing obesity medicine research. So I was doing this research with obese women, and I was seeing really the aging population clinically. And it was, it, it was long hours, it was a lot of stuff, but you start to see this landscape and this landscape of suffering. And as humans, we wanna end suffering. You're sitting at the bedside of Sally's grandma who's dying. Meanwhile, you're seeing Sally in clinic because she's 30 pounds overweight and has never been able to lose that last 30 pounds. But then you're imaging these other people and you're seeing them in the Alzheimer's ward, all of them, have low muscle mass. And then you see, okay, so like, what is the similarity? And I had this aha moment. And this aha moment came when we were imaging brains, brains of overweight, obese women. And this one woman, we looked at her brain scan and it looked like the beginning of an Alzheimer's. It looked like an Alzheimer's brain. And it was at that moment that I realized that the one thing all these patients had in common wasn't that they had body fat problems. It was that they had muscle problems. And that we actually were focusing on the wrong pathology. And that's why nobody is getting better. It's 50 years later. We're still talking about obesity. Mm -hmm. We're fatter than ever. We're sicker than ever. I realized that if you ask the right question then you can get a good answer. And perhaps the hypothesis that we're looking at that this is all body fat problem is the wrong one. And what were the things that these people were doing that was perpetuating that? And that's where this muscle-centric medicine came from, which is studying muscle and thinking about muscle as the pinnacle, as opposed to obesity medicine, where obesity medicine focuses on the problem, the symptomology, Obesity in and of itself is, is not the obesity problem. It's a, in part a muscle problem. Mm. So why are we not talking about that? If we really care about fixing these issues that we're seeing, 
then it's not just lose body fat. Yeah, I loved that shift that you have because it is really focusing on like, what is something we can think about positively? What is something we can move towards instead of going against the obesity thing where it's like we're always mitigating the issues. We're always focused on less body fat. But I do like the concept that with muscle, the more that you build, there's like Mm -hmm. the benefit to it. I am juggling quite a bit lately. (laughs) I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervine has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. It's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time. Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. The concept of obesity is so complex too because it hits blood sugar it hits like yes it hits so many different things so the concept of obesity has so many different topics underneath it do you feel like muscle can mitigate as many topics as obesity covers i agree with you that obesity is highly complex yes whether it's a dysregulation of leptin and ghrelin whether there is issues with insulin resistance whether it's a mitochondrial issue whether it's inflammation or toxin exposure there's a, a bazillion things and reasons why obesity could be a problem. Mm. Out of all those reasons, what is the one or two direct inputs that we have? Mm. Well, skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle is still a site of, at the root, insulin resistance. So if we care about obesity, if 
skeletal muscle makes up 40% of our body. It's a full organ system. It is the site for the majority of glucose disposal, the things that we're eating. Nobody can argue calories in, calories are out. People argue this. This is not something that we argue. It's real and it matters. How are we going to manage that? You're going to manage that through muscle. You can't exercise your liver. Could you, you exercise and improve mitochondrial? Yes, but you can't say, okay, well, mitochondria number 273 in my calf, let's go. But you can directly influence skeletal muscle health. Exercise is in and of itself what I believe to be the greatest influence because of the impact that it has on all these different metabolic processes. 24% of adults are meeting the requirements for exercise. Are? Yeah. Wow. I think we know so many fit girlies, so I'm like, isn't everybody overworking out? But 100% of people eat. We have to be able to pull these two levers. Mm -hmm. And again, we talk about diet and exercise. The fitness community has been talking about that forever. What I am talking about is how can we reframe this from a medical perspective and really think about aging, longevity as a trajectory, and what do we need to do now to prevent that from happening? Yes. Is obesity a problem? Yes. I believe that the majority of the physiological changes that happen first are in skeletal muscle. Yes, they happen in liver, but liver glycogen, this is not a big storage unit. You can't exercise your liver. But skeletal muscle health, do you know that the issues with skeletal muscle happen decades before you even see anything in blood work? There's no such thing as healthy sedentary. There's no such thing as a healthy sedentary. Skeletal muscle requires flux. It requires movement. It requires to empty the suitcase. And there are multiple ways to do it. Movement does it. Resistance training, again, how do we continue to support the health of skeletal muscle? And we have to do this for a lifetime. I just wanted to go to the cognitive piece for a second because you mentioned seeing the brain as like an early Alzheimer's brain and someone who is obese. Can you explain the correlation between our muscle, lack thereof in that case, and our cognitive function? Because I was even, you know, in reading your book, I was thinking about my parents and, you know, they're relatively healthy, mid-60s, but I'm like, oh, wow, I don't think they are purposely strength training in any way or purposely watching how much protein they're intaking and just thinking about how cognitively it is so important, I think, for them to be of good health in that way. There's this great book coming out called Forever Strong. They should definitely read yes, this. Yes, I know. I'm literally going to, I'm literally going to send it to them. <laughs> and you can send them the early PDF copy. They don't even have to buy it. They, they don't even have to buy it. There's been a, a lot of research on exercise and brain function. Before we talk about the exercise piece, we have to understand that skeletal muscle is an organ system and it is this metabolic currency. Again, it's responsible for glucose disposal, but also as an endocrine organ, meaning that it secretes things, secretes peptides. When you contract skeletal muscle, it secretes myokines, just like the thyroid secretes thyroid hormone, just like all the other hormones, all the other organ systems, depending, secrete hormones. And these myokines travel throughout the body. So they help regulate inflammation. They help regulate the immune system. They act on macrophages. They also act on areas in the brain. So they, you know, BDNF triggers, there's a many different kinds of myokines, irisin, interleukin-6, these things have influence on the body, but as well as impact the brain. 
impact the brain indirectly and directly. It helps generate neuroregenerative properties. The other aspect of that is it helps with metabolic control. So the brain is an organ and the brain is also, it can be vulnerable to issues of blood sugar dysregulation, insulin resistance. There's insulin resistance in the brain. Mm. That's why having healthy skeletal muscle, these diseases like Alzheimer's, in part are metabolic diseases. You have to address metabolism. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah my grandma had Alzheimer's and she was like no muscle and would like only eat dessert. And you hear that and a lot. Eating disorder, yeah. Yeah, you, you hear that a lot. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. You hear that a lot. I knew even at a young age, I was like, this isn't genetic. It is, you know, whatever, the genes piece is important, but I was like, there's something else here that's going on that's impacting the way that this is showing up. So you mentioned skeletal muscle. What are the types of muscle? And then are there healthy and unhealthy muscle? So skeletal muscle, this striated muscle, it's under voluntary control. When we think about healthy skeletal muscle, think about a filet. Not a ton of fat. There is something called the athlete's paradox where there is some fat within the skeletal muscle, but it's typically used as energy, store triglycerides, it uses energy. But fat in and of itself, fat around the skeletal muscle is unhealthy, ectopic fat. Fat within skeletal muscle looking like a marbled steak is also very unhealthy. When would you have that? That is a great question. We don't typically measure an image skeletal muscle. Isn't that shocking? Huh. But would we, you be able to? Is there a machine? Yeah, but <laughs> we always to? measure fat mass. When you get a DEXA, you're measuring fat mass. Then the lean mass, the rest of it is extrapolated data of bone and organ and blood and muscle. But we don't actually routinely image muscle. It's not a checkup. When you go to the doctor, they don't do a routine strength test. They also will tell you your percent body fat often, but they won't tell you the amount of skeletal muscle mass you have, and they won't tell you the quality because we don't look at it. In fact, I don't even know what your ideal muscle mass should be. Yeah, I don't know. I know my ideal body fat. But do you see these are huge huge, gaps in conversation and care? Yes. And it is. I just really love the concept of thinking like ideal body fat's less, less is good. And then the muscle mass is like... And in fact, there's a paper, Bill Evans came out with a paper, he's one of the authors, and it was talking about D3 creatine. This is this new way in which it's just using research of actually directly measuring how much skeletal muscle mass you have. Cool. And one of the conversations over time is that the mass doesn't matter, it's all about strength. Cognitively, that doesn't make sense, right? It's not just strength, it is also about mass, because again, we talk about glucose disposal, we talk about amino acid reservoir, we talk about all these things, protection from if you fall, But now, for the first time, we're starting to measure actually the amount of skeletal mass that you have. And what he was saying, and what these papers were saying, it's a handful of papers, is that the loss of skeletal muscle mass has bigger implications, negative implications on outcomes of health, morbidity, mortality, than the gain of body fat. So it's less important if you're gaining body fat than if you're losing skeletal muscle. Wow. So it's Mm. the loss of skeletal muscle over time rather than the gain of body fat. 
this is critical mm -hmm. and this is this will change the conversation you ask do we measure what does healthy skeletal muscle look like again we could say it looks like a fillet but people are not routinely doing cts or mris and it's not feasible or affordable and i think people are generally they look in the mirror yeah and they're like okay i'm thinner than yesterday mm -hmm. awesome muscle generally you know will if they are building muscle might make them look at their bodies differently get a little scared am i getting bigger uh-oh like there's no correlation between the health of having more muscle and that being actually a beautiful thing when you look in the mirror do you know what i'm saying yeah. there's a gap and i think even though it's really simple it's kind of that cognitive dissonance when you start to build muscle especially women where we're like uh-oh like my maybe my thigh looks a little bigger mm -hmm. it, not on everyone but i i feel like that's where the fear comes from totally and it's hard it's to build muscle is hard yes yeah and weight is Improperly. such a huge issue for women and just this whole yeah. body composition and and again, if we can shift the perspective of not what do you have to lose, but what do you have to gain? Muscle is the only currency that you can't buy. You can't bargain for it. You can't sell it. You have to earn it. And if we shift the perspective to what are the things that we can do to facilitate strength, inevitably, we become stronger as people. Mm -hmm. We become more resilient are prosilient, proactively resilient. It's not if something is going to happen in your life, it's when. Why is muscle so hard to build? Yeah. When you're younger and untrained, it's not so hard. Right. But I think consistency for people, okay. training hard enough, yep. putting enough volume, putting yep. enough effort in. Yeah. Yeah. And then supporting it with dietary protein. Yes. Yeah, so there's a break that could happen in consistency for people that are listening is not staying consistent. And then there's not having enough load on, right, to create the tears for the process of rebuild to happen. And then the proper recovery with protein is not also happening. Right. And then is it the right protein? Like, because I want to kind of explore too, do people need creatine? Do they need amino acid supplements? What is the proper mm -hmm. recovery? So I guess, can you walk us through what should the consistency be? And then secondly, what should the load be for people? What should it feel like in their body? Because I want to go by more feeling than weight for specifics. And then what we should be recovering with. The So your first question is, what do we need for, do we need creatine? Do we need omega-3 fatty acids? I would say at the foundation, making sure that you're getting enough protein. In the protein hierarchy would be how much protein you're actually getting. We know that 0.8 grams per kilogram is too low. We know that 68 grams a day is going to be too low. We know that 100 is probably the bare minimum I would recommend. If you are really trying to build muscle and support your body, I recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight, which is on the higher end. I've been doing this for a long time. This is what I see, and most women won't hit that. So if a woman is 120 pounds and that's where she wants to be, then 120 grams of protein, she could even go higher. If she wants to build muscle, you are going to be in a little bit of calorie excess. But you can do it in a way where you don't have to be putting on body fat. Mm. We see it all the time in my clinic. Women change their body composition, put on skeletal muscle, and lose body fat. They do phenomenal. Now, the question becomes what kind of protein? 
there, when you are younger, you have more flexibility as to the kinds of protein. Now, as you get older, so when I was younger, I was vegetarian, I used protein shakes, and did I put on muscle? Yes. And then as you age, and if you really don't want to supplement, then higher quality proteins, and that would be meats and chicken and eggs and whey and dairy, which for whatever reason, I've been doing this 20 years, it was never controversial then. Only within the last seven to 10 years do these things become very controversial. If you are eating a more plant-based diet, then you definitely would be missing creatine and some of these omega, omega omega-3 fatty acids. Can you get it? Yes. Iron, bioavailable iron. These are all things that are necessary for just growth in general, recovery. I typically recommend a high-quality protein diet. And when you have a high-quality protein diet, you'll have less need to be supplementing with a bunch of stuff. And also, if you take out high-quality protein, for example, like red meat, red meat has a ton of uh, bioactive compounds in it, creatine and serine, taurine, carnitine, all things that help with body composition and help with these other things. Can you get that from amino acid supplements? What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on those? No, you can't. Wow. And this is the conversation of of food as an entire matrix. Mm. It's not just about, and I think protein shakes are great. Protein shakes are great. They, again, I said the most important thing is the macronutrient protein. But again, the other things that ride alongside with, say, uh, a filet is iron, B12, zinc, selenium, creatine, and serine, taurine. Those things are not going to get in a protein shake. And that's important. Amino acid supplementation, if you are eating a lower protein diet, can be helpful. Because again, you do need these individual amino acids. If you are watching calories, and let's say you're only eating three ounces of fish, you could add in amino acids. But if your diet is high in protein, you don't need extra amino acids. Before we go to the exercise piece and the load and the strength training, can we get into the specifics of certain protein powders? Because I do think a lot of women out there, it's a convenient thing where they can create their shakes or put it into oats and things. So whether it's collagen, plant protein, whey, rice, pea. It's a great question. People are always confused about that. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Okay. I think the (laughs) best protein, if you can handle it, is whey protein. Whey protein has immunoglobulins in it, alpha-lactalbumin, lactoferrin, these things that have been shown to really help with the immune function of the body. Just It it has great, again, it's it's a whole food matrix. And I think that uh, whey protein is phenomenal. So that's my Does my it have to choice. be grass-fed? I think it doesn't. Okay. I mean, ideally, would that be amazing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But should it be a barrier to entry? No. Cool. Whey protein is great. Super easy. You also need less protein because it's so rich in some of these amino acids. So you could do a 20-gram protein shake, and you'll hit your amino acid need. It's amazing. And it's great for an aging individual. And why do some people have like a resistance to it or they don't like it. reaction? Yeah, maybe Alert, allergy. I think some people get bloated. Yeah, some people get bloated. We could take some digestive enzymes. But again, if you're getting bloated, there's other issues, which um, yeah. that is definitely, you should be able to eat and not think about what you're eating. You should be able to eat at whatever you want and not think about getting bloated, constipated, or having diarrhea. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a trend for a lot of women. Have like always have like stomach issues. Yeah, it's a yes. We uh, tackle mm-hmm. that all the time. Really? I swear. I swear. I think my next book 
is going to be about the gut microbiome and muscle health. Mm. Yeah. I don't feel like it's even the gut. I feel like it's like their inability to like process their life and like be in their power mm. or like it's like anxiety thing. It's like just, yeah, I know it probably is more gut thing, but I think it's more like spiritual, emotional than mm. people think. Because everyone, I'm like, oh, there's a trend for all of you people that feel like you can't digest things. You have IBS. You have all these things. I'm like, you're very anxious person that like doesn't really cope well with life and so it's now showing up in your body that's interesting hmm. hopefully they'll grow out of it mm -hmm. yeah exactly okay so we talked about way is your number one Thoughts my second on the other? one my second one you know i say that way is my number one another protein that i think is phenomenal is if you could mix whey with some kind of collagen peptide that's i think the next frontier because we didn't really talk about this in depth and it's probably not totally relevant but High quality protein, we as Americans think about muscle meat, like not eating a bunch of liver or organs or collagen or bone type stuff. It's just hard to eat bone anyway. But the amino acids of collagen are different than the amino acids in this. The ratios are different and, and the amounts that are in whey. But there's a balance, right? There's different levels of, say, glycine. And I think that probably the balance of both is where optimal health lies. Wow. So maybe it's two-thirds whey and then one-third collagen. Mm -hmm. But collagen protein is an incomplete protein. Right. You should not count that towards your total protein intake. Which is fascinating. Yeah. So basically, was it like discovered in a lab where they were they basically discovered that by pulling on these specific levers of these specific types of protein combinations that we could increase skin, elastin, you know, because it does specific things. It does specific things. The early studies done in collagen, I think they were in the 70s, and they ended up having, I think a few people died when all they ate for protein was just collagen. So I, I believe that it was, I don't know if it was inpatient, but it was that was their only source of protein because it, it is totally deficient. You wow. can't be on a, a protein deficient diet and survive. Makes my skin freaking glow though. <laughs> so let's talk about it does. It's and crazy. And that is amazing. What kind of collagen is there a brand you use? No, I'm not impartial. Okay, so it just works. So Are I, there some that don't work? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the sourcing of all right. the collagens, but I was just curious because your yeah. skin's amazing. Mm -hmm. Girl can always use some skin help. Yeah. <laughs> I think that collagen is amazing. I, but you shouldn't use it for muscle health. You should use it for skin and gut health and other things. Mm -hmm. I caution people to just say, okay, well, I had my protein. I have my collagen. So use it, but use it with whey protein. The least favorite that I have, but I'm okay with, is the rice pea blend because it hasn't been around so long in nature in that way. Again, these are all ultra processed, all powders, they're all ultra processed and, and that's okay. But the pea proteins over time, they, they're potentially estrogen-like activity. I, I just don't really know what to think about it. And I, I think that we could never possibly consume that amount at once. So I do have some hesitation over time with that. But can their amino acid blends be appropriate and equal? Yeah, they can totally be developed to be the same. But again, the source, there's other bioactive compounds, just like whey has bioactive compounds. There are bioactive compounds in the pea proteins, potentially rice proteins that I'm not sure that we know are great for us over time. Is there a plant protein that you would recommend for people who are plant-based? Brown rice pea. There's like a new macuna. I have a patient that is taking that. And then the fermented products, yeah. I think that's incredible. Yeah, They're coming out with some fermented type vegan proteins. Okay. I don't know so much about that, but 
definitely fermented foods in general. And yeah, brown rice is always weird. Brown rice protein. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Cause it's weird. Totally. Cause I think about eating more rice. I'm like, I don't want to eat more rice. Mm -hmm. So then eating more brown rice protein mm -hmm. always feels kind of weird. I agree. If someone was to be vegetarian or vegan and they are mostly supplementing with those types of shakes or protein bars or whatever, what are your thoughts? I would ask them why. Why are they making those decisions? If it's to save the more, planet, it's yeah. a really bad choice. Say more. We're not going to eat our way out of climate change. Mm. And it's going to be devastating, these beliefs that we're recycling, this idea of meatless Monday. It's devastating because it's going to teach my child that what she's just subconsciously what she's eating, she should be removing meat for a day. It's a smokescreen. This idea of eating our way out of climate change is a smokescreen. The majority of climate change, especially in the U.S., is transportation, electricity, uh, and industry, 80-some mm. percent. The U.S. might be 9% is agriculture. Mm. When COVID happened and everything shut down, what was the change in greenhouse gas impact? Not that this needs to be the conversation we go into, but I, I do think that there's like an imbalance in how we talk about how certain like animal products are affecting the environment, but then there's also making almond milk and how the bees are affected and it's, you know there's yeah. just we're not necessarily talking about it all and recognizing that every single yeah I think it's one industry. of those things like many things in our culture and society where it's like there's actually a greater problem that's here correct yeah. but then we have both people fighting yeah. as if yeah this other side is the problem yes. but it's actually not it's the greater food industry it's, agricultural it's industry yes. and it's population yes red meat consumption is down 30 percent. we're more mm. efficient at making products and milk we're more efficient yeah than we've ever been mm -hmm. we're not less efficient we have a population mm -hmm. issue mm. Say, say a population too many people we have too many people we I have to we, feed we have to feed a world yeah i think it's a distribution of resources i think there's enough food for people but i think we have a distribution of resources yes, issue. and we waste 40 percent of our food yeah yeah that's true in the in the west or across yes. the world well in the west I, I don't know about the rest of the world but where we are we waste 40 percent. all that contributes to greenhouse gas that yeah. food wasting right mm -hmm. right and also it's just like myopic Animal products, the majority of land is marginal land. You can't do anything with it. Marginal land, you can only graze cattle. Mm -hmm. What about the impact that our dogs and cats and our animals have? Mm -hmm. But we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Eating red meat isn't going to destroy the plant. That's not the issue. Mm -hmm. The issue is how are we dealing with transportation? How are we dealing with all these other things? Are we leaving our lights on? You could be vegan for two years or you could take one transatlantic flight and that would be equal. Mm. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah. Right. There's a whole system in place. I just have found this so interesting lately in my life. It's like when I'm just faced with my access to information is different than yours because the access to information that I know about about being plant-based is different than what you're saying. Not that I'm saying yours is wrong or yeah. mine is right. Yeah, yeah. But it's just so fascinating because I'm like, wow, there is just so much information and resources out there. And who knows? Not saying you're wrong or not saying I'm right, but it's like we never truly know what is actually right because I've heard things that are just different than that. And that's where who's getting the right information, who's getting the wrong information for people. And it's just fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. This is part of the issue. Yeah. This is part of the issue. So if we just were to look at hard numbers, 80% of the impact on greenhouse gas is not agriculture. Wow. That's what I've heard. It is. It's just not agriculture. We're not going to eat our way out of climate change. Yeah. We should not be cutting down Rainforests, Brazil and China really need yeah. to do a better job. Yeah. 
But as it relates to the U.S., we shouldn't be wasting food. I think there also is, too, just like a better farming practice for yes. people so we could have just a better ecosystem within our farming so that people are getting their food from local farmers. Totally. The local mm -hmm. farmers are not just like over farming on the land. We have better quality soil. We have just like a better system. And I think with the globalization of our economy has been helpful in a lot of ways, but hurtful in a lot of ways, because now we are going to, you know, when I was in Hawaii, all the fruit was from Mexico. That's crazy, right? It's things like that, where you're like, what is going on? That's this crazy. isn't necessarily mm -hmm. making sense. So I think it's just a broader issue, but I do think it is really important for people to think about where they're getting their meat from, the quality of their meat, and just being mm -hmm. more intentional about their food and body in general. Because if we're wasting a lot of the food, a lot of times it's just a lack of intentionality around what they're eating. And I really like that if we are more mindful about the meat consumption or even building more body mass, I guess it, it, the question would be, if someone is going to be plant-based and they focused on building their muscle mass, are they going to have a harder time? Will it be something that they will find more challenge with? Or could that be a lever that they could pull to follow more of the muscle-centric plan, but in the way that feels good for them? They could definitely do that, mm -hmm. especially if they're younger. Yeah, It's going to be much harder as they age. What, yeah, why is that? I'm so curious about that. As individuals age, they tend to eat less. And you've probably seen it with your parents. Every bite counts. Yeah. And again, I'm a geriatrician by training. These people are not eating a lot. And if there's this conversation to cut back on high quality, you need high quality nutrient-dense foods. Yeah. Exactly. Especially if you're not going to be supplementing. And there's going to be some new data that's coming out. There's a new paper that came out and they recently presented it at ASN, which is the big nutrition, the annual nutrition conference, where if you're eating whole foods, not supplementing with shakes, it would take 4,000 plus calories to try to meet the basic amino acid needs. Mm, wow. That's not doable because it's all carbohydrates. Yeah. The reality is the lower your dietary protein intake, the higher the quality has to be. But that's just whole foods. So this is not adding shakes. And I'll send you the paper. You guys might find it really interesting. If an individual wants to be vegan or vegetarian, could they use plant-based proteins? They absolutely could. They absolutely could. I would also caution them as they age, it would be impossible to replace everything that is in that food matrix. But it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be a viable option. Which is powerful to think about. But yeah, I mean, when you're talking, thinking about my dad, I'm like, oh gosh, you just so far from the goal mm -hmm. of what it is. And you can tell in how it presents in health. But I think for a lot of the women in our community are in their ages of fertility and hormones. And I think that's a conversation. Lindsay's someone that's pregnant. And we have a lot of women that are trying to get pregnant and finding it challenging. And it seems to be a very popular topic amongst our age group. So I'd love to explore your thoughts on what's happening with fertility in women and potentially how muscle and protein relates to that. I consider myself a pro in this area, having knocked out two little children. <laughs> <laughs> muscle health is really critical for a healthy pregnancy, especially when you think about gestational diabetes and the epigenetics for the child. We know that the healthier the mom is, the healthier that baby is. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. The healthier that baby is, the more likely that baby is going to grow up physically active and have a better body composition and less issues. It is the mom's responsibility. Fertility issues, I think that they're, it's obviously multifactorial. Whether someone has PCOS or insulin resistance, you're going to really have to address muscle health. When we just think about PCOS and we think about insulin resistance, you have to address muscle health. Those women should be lifting weights. I don't think long sessions of cardio are going to be great. We don't need to have increase in stress hormones. 
But again, any activity is better. I, I don't want anyone to take this out of context. Being healthy and fit is going to allow for a better pregnancy. Infertility is definitely an issue. Is it because we have more environmental toxins? Is it because we've had women that are on the pill? There are a whole host of issues. I would certainly recommend that women who are trying to get pregnant are eating a whole foods diet, not restricting, not being super stressed about it, not fasting. These things are what I would consider important. Making sure that they're starting a prenatal early and then lifting weights throughout your whole pregnancy, which is exactly what I did. I also had hyperemesis gravidum, and I- What's that? Wow. Did you know what that is? Isn't that where you're sick all, all, all the for time? 10 months. Oh, with nausea. Oh, I threw up every day for 10 months, multiple times a day. I mean- And you did it again? And I did it again. Stop. And I would did go to the, the gym. Did you have the second time? Uh, not, as, not as bad, no. I would go, I would do kettlebells, I trained with Missy Parrish. She's amazing. She's actually in the city. And I would bring a bucket and do some kettlebell swings and throw up. No way. Yeah. Because you you just knew the importance yeah. of... I was going to feel this way anyway. You got to push through. I was wow. so sick. I'm so delusional. I'd be like, this means my baby's going to be so powerful that their energy is I doing mean, this. It, it doesn't... And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it has necessarily an effect on the babe so long no. as you're getting your proper nutrition and hydration and all the oh, things it's harder to gravidum? do. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. No. But yes, so training. I also would say one of the big things that women really struggle with is anemia, especially going mm -hmm. into pregnancy. And the other thing is making sure they're ovulating and they have good thyroid function. Say more about that. I have yeah. so many women in my life that have thyroid issues yeah. right now. It's actually very interesting. Yeah, you got to treat it. What do you think that is? Why do you think there's a trend of increased issues with thyroid? I think there's a lot of extra iodine around. Hmm. We started seeing a real increase in hypothyroidism when they started adding iodine to salt. Really? Mm -hmm. And do you think it's just slowing down the function because it's overloaded it's, with iodine? I, I think that it is creating potentially issues with hypothyroidism because it's in products. It's not just in salt. It's in skincare products. It's just all over. I think that people are getting a bit too much iodine. I know it's crazy. I know. Wow. I also think for thyroid function, I think that we test it more. So we're finding it more. And then with Hashimoto's, that's a whole different topic with autoimmunity. I think that there's a lot of gut issues. People have to be genetically predisposed and then having a lot of GI issues, I think, really perpetuates Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune, out of the autoimmune impact on the thyroid. In terms of someone who is coming off of the pill do you have any recommendations we've talked about this a lot on the podcast but just in terms of whether it's strength training or supplementing with protein etc like is there something specific around that transition that you've seen be patient yeah be patient i know it's crazy but they need to yeah. be patient because it takes time it'll take time if the they've detox. been suppressing yeah well if they've been suppressing their Estrogen, if they've been sure. suppressing that hypothalamic pituitary axis for a long time, it takes time. Yeah. But I would always recommend, I, you know, I do think that training, resistance training, and throwing in some kind of training that makes you uncomfortable is really great. Is that going to jumpstart your body from the pill? Not necessarily. Could you potentially use herbal supplementation and all these other things? Yes. 
But I think overarching, this is an opportunity to build up resilience. And the faster you can come up to baseline within your own mind, the better off you're going to be. There doesn't need to be a narrative about it. I would say the most successful patients that I have do not have a narrative about what's happening. There's no narrative. And when you don't have a narrative about it, it doesn't slow you down. So you come off the pill, you know you're going to get your period back, you're going to exercise, you're going to do one thing that's really hard, so some kind of really hard training, you're going to take a prenatal, and you're going to execute. And that's what you're going to do. That's the military mind, baby. <laughs> you're like, no stories, let's just like get right to it. When people are training, how should they feel? Like, should we feel exhausted? Should you feel, because if we're training hard, what's that experience like? And when do we know that we're overtraining? And when do we know we're undertraining? There's, there's two things that I think about when I think about this. The emergencies in life. Hunger is not an emergency. It's not an emergency. And then training that feeling mm -hmm. of I just want to quit is not an emergency. It's just a feeling. You'll be so proud of yourself if you push through that. If you do the things that you think are hard, that you want to quit, but you choose not to, you will do better. Could I sit here and tell you that there's multiple ways to push adaptation for skeletal muscle? Totally. Could you do 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week? Yeah. Could you put in a certain amount of effort till you go to fatigue? Yeah. There's many ways to build a program. Here's what I would say. Find a program, commit to it. But pick one thing a week you do not want to do and prove to yourself that you can do it because you will be stronger. I'll tell you what I did. Let's hear it. <laughs> Give us examples. I, like I had two babies. I was nauseous for I, two years. <laughs> and I did two natural births. I would once a week load up a backpack. I started with 20 pounds. It eventually progressed up to 50 pounds. And I would go for 10 miles without stopping. Wow. Wow. Didn't matter if it was snowing. It didn't matter if it was raining. I would go with my girlfriend, Carol Lazowskis. I met her through some military people, and I did that every week. Wow. How many times a week? Once a week. Once That's a week. perfect. Wow. Took hours, 10 miles. Wow. So, yeah, she carried 80 pounds. Wow. And that really sucked. Yeah. The feeling after, though, feels really good. It doesn't have to be that. It could be going into an ice bath. Yeah. And deciding that you're going to go into the ice bath and you're going to stay for five minutes. You can tolerate hard things. Mm -hmm. Yes, you should be challenging yourself, whether that's progressive overload where you're increasing, you know, volume and, and weight. There's many different ways to do it. But being consistent and then setting standards for yourself. Knowing what you can do. How many push-ups can you do? How many squats can you do? How much can you bench press? How much can you squat? Pick whatever. And then measure it and then show that you're improving because this will serve you in all aspects of your life. It's not just going to serve you in physical fitness. Here's the biggest thing that I have found. When people do not feel worthy of change or worthy of health or worthy of fitness, they'll find all the reasons why not. Mm. Speak on it, sis. Yeah. It's true. Say more. It's worthy. There yeah. is a worthiness aspect. And yes. that's one of the first things that I began to realize. You have to feel worthy of the body that you desire. But you cannot complain or be upset about the work that you didn't do for the results that you didn't get. That is a choice. And when you feel worthy, you're willing to merge your future self with your present self and able to make choices that close that gap. It's a present bias. Mm -hmm. You I heard love that? that point in your book, yeah. yeah. How do we close that gap? 
Can you explain the present bias yeah. for people? It's who you are now and the decision that you're going to make in this moment. Does it support who you want to become? Humans are hardwired for the quick thing. That donut, that skip that workout, that I'm going to do it tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. And they go through a lifetime and ultimately become regretful because they were never able to see who that future version of themselves was in the moment. So you have to close the gap of who you want to be and become that person and plan for it before it happens. Right. You know you're going to go for the late night cookie or you know you're going to go. Like after this, I have a presentation that I have to do, but when I'm done here, I'm going to go train. I could say, listen, no, I need to do that. I have to do this presentation. I'm giving it tomorrow morning, but I'm going to go train. You think I want to? I have five million other things, and then I got to get to the airport. I'm going to train, and I'm going to get to work because I know who I want to be, and in order to become that person, I need to take the actions and embody the habits of what that person is worthy of accomplishing. Yeah, I'm sure working in the space where you were probably working in geriatrics or working in just your fellowship, that it was probably noticing all the trends and then you're noticing one of the trends, which is people feeling like they're worthy of health. Oh, yeah. Or they're worthy of vitality. Do you remember a moment like that where you realize that it's not just all the things that we're doing, it's actually this belief of worthiness? Yeah, I, I still see patients today. And... There was, I was just talking to a girl and she kept telling me all these struggles about how she couldn't follow the nutrition plan or she didn't want to start this supplementation that we had, had provided her with. And I finally just said, listen, I have to ask you a question. Do you feel worthy of the changes I'm asking you to make? Do you feel worthy? She broke down crying and that was it. It wasn't a diet issue. It wasn't, it wasn't anything. It was she had significant trauma and she didn't feel worthy. Mm. And you got to work through that. You got to work through that. And doing hard stuff actually makes you feel worthy. Yeah. You yeah. prove to yourself you can't yeah. have confidence in something until you do it. Yeah. And that's where confidence is built. It's built in the arena. Mm -hmm. And that's incredible. And you have to have courage. Mm -hmm. You have to have courage to be and go through something that is unfamiliar it takes courage to make changes. We are very good at doing the same things over and over again, whether it's doing yoga or Pilates and not feeling comfortable going to the weight room. Or I remember the first time, again, I was vegetarian for so long. The first time I had chicken, I was like crying. Oh. I know it sounds silly, no, yeah, but you sure. still have to be courageous of whatever it is sure. in your life that you are wanting to do. The other thing is that with courage, it's just discomfort of the unknown. It's just discomfort of the unknown. That's it. And it's also the stories you're telling yourself about it mm -hmm. that becomes so overwhelming. And I don't think like necessarily it'll become easier. I was just watching and I think you saw it too. There was a woman in our community who was, oh, I she did her. a real Jess on just doing uncomfortable things. And she's like, I don't think I'll ever not be anxious anxious mm -hmm. about this but i'm doing it i love that yeah and like the act of doing it makes me more confident love myself more just feel more alive and yeah so i think people think that if they do it enough times they won't have maybe the anxiety or this like need to drum up courage it's like that's the point where you can live and thrive maybe with both and 
I think it just speaks to like our need as humans for comfort all the time. Oh, yeah. To be real, real comfortable. And I think in this like experience of pregnancy, I've just like totally recalibrated my relationship with comfort. Yeah. And just realizing like how the parts of me that really seek comfort were keeping me, yeah, just kind of the same. That's one of the many beautiful parts of this process where I'm like, okay, wow, I can be stretched and I can like meet thresholds and really learn something about myself and learn something about other people. So it's so cool. It's such a cool experience. It's such a privilege. It really is. Truly. It really is. Yeah. I think about that even with what we do Mm -hmm. with speaking or events or interviews. I'm like, I still get nervous and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so grateful because that means I care. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that I actually have yeah, enough care for what you do. But I remember meeting Jess. She came to our event on Friday and she was shaking. I was like, oh, baby, you're shaking. She's like, yeah, I'm anxious. But if I stopped everything I wanted to do because I was anxious, I wouldn't do anything. I was mm-hmm. like, baller. Yeah. I was like, yeah, <laughs> girl. speak on it. Yeah, I was like, yo, yeah. speak on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, incredibly powerful. What is some research that you're really excited about? What are some things that you're like, whoa, this is like hot new research that's really exciting to you that like feels interesting? Okay. Drop with some knowledge. Okay, well, you guys are going to be like, oh, wow. Did we get the nerd alert today? We want a little nerd. (laughs) Uh They're going to start shifting away this discussion that we've always been talking about, just protein. They're going to actually begin to shift towards amino acids as individual nutrients. That doesn't even exist right now. These amino acids as individual nutrients and how can we design a diet that is very uh, specific and aware based on these amino acids, individual amino acids. So I think that that's very cool. So there's that nerd drop. And then the other thing is this gut muscle access. The gastrointestinal tract, the interface between that and muscle health is really interesting. And I'll give you an example. Again, you asked, and this is kind no, of- No, I want it. <laughs> there is a compound called urolithin A. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's an amazing company called MitoPure. I love, I'm obsessed with them. They've done 20 years of research. And I think a lot about muscle health. But what about this interface between gut health and muscle health? I'm seeing a, a lot of this. Just I see a lot of, of this in the practice. So basically, the foods that we eat, like pomegranate, walnuts, these things that have high polyphenols have something called elagitanins. Elagitanins, the ability to generate urolithin A comes from the elagitanin making contact with the, the gut microbiome and then the microbes being able to generate urolithin A. 40% of people can't do that because of the lack of biodiversity in their gut. But what's so amazing about this compound, urolithin A, is that it is almost like exercise in a bottle, which is crazy. Just so you know, I am not an individual that jumps on a bandwagon. I am not always interested in compounds unless I've seen it work in data over time. And this urolithin A impacts the mitochondria. So basically through the gut, impacts skeletal muscle mitochondria. Skeletal muscle mitochondria. So so we're seeing a correlation between gut health and impact of mitochondria in strength and endurance outside of exercise. They published a randomized control double-blinded trial in humans in older adults, that when they were given 1,000 milligrams of urolithin A, it improved their strength and their endurance. Wow. 
That's crazy. Right. So this interface, again, is just so fascinating. Gut health and the ability to generate these compounds and then a compound that directly impacts mitochondria. Mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell, which give you energy, which make you feel like you have more energy. And it's very dense in, my, in skeletal muscle. That's freaking cool. Wow. Also peptide stuff. Peptide is super cool. Yeah. So peptides, you're talking probably about BPC-157. It's been around for a long I'm time. I'm ipamorelin. Ip, okay. So CJC and ipamorelin, which is a growth hormone analog. Yeah. Those have actually been around for quite some time. Wow. So you want to know something else that I've been thinking about that is not research-based, but I am frustrated with and I don't know what to do about it, is that I can give you Ozempic, Mongerno, you know, I could give you semaglutide or trizepatide, no problem. But if I wanted to give you something to make your muscles healthier, like testosterone, it's not FDA approved for women. I mean. Hmm. But I can treat obesity all day long until the cows come home. But for me to treat something or give you something, some kind of medication to make your muscles healthier, I'd lose my license. Why is that? Is that because the pharmaceuticals aren't involved in the testosterone? No. Yeah. No. It's just totally backwards. Yeah. Wow. Because anything related to performance, because of the issue with sport, anything related to performance is, is a problem. We can't use anabolic steroids. And I'm not talking, so people yeah. hear that and go, oh my God, she's talking about using anabolic steroids. We're not talking about that. We're talking about if someone has sarcopenia, cachexia, muscle wasting, there are medications that people use to help maintain skeletal muscle mass. Sarcopenia doesn't begin in your 60s. It begins in your 30s. I am just laying out the framework for thinking that there's no issue with the medical community treating obesity, but there's major issue with us treating the health of skeletal muscle. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And being preventative. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed, did you always prescribe ozempic or what's your journey with i guess semaglutide ozempic is a brand is of semaglutide. semaglutide yeah okay i do prescribe it i yeah. think it's a great drug yeah. i think these glp1 agonists or these combination like trizepatide i think it's a great drug and people it's interesting it seems that people are really split and i would say that when we think about these medications well the first thing that i think is the treatment has to match the severity of what the person is going through it has to match mm -hmm. so if you have tried everything to lose weight and you are still struggling, and this is destroying your life, why should you not be able to be provided a medication? Also, I've never seen anything work better. I've been practicing medicine since 2006. I've never seen anything work better. Do I think that it is a solution long-term for everybody? I don't, but I am certainly not when used in the right scenarios uh, against that at all. I think it can be very helpful for people's metabolism I think that there's a lot of benefit to these medications. And is it helping the metabolism while they're on it? Or can they be on it for a short period of time and then go off of it and their metabolism is somewhat reset? The literature would suggest, at least the last time I looked at it, that typically if people are using it for obesity, they stay on it. However, we take patients in my practice off of it all the time. We train them up with good eating habits and they're doing resistance training and their hormones are great. And we do not see a change in body composition. We see that they keep and maintain improvements. We see lower inflammatory markers. We see all the benefits of what weight loss would have provided while maintaining their skeletal mass. Wow. So from my perspective, I, I think it's a privilege that we have. Right. 
Yeah, I have no thought, you know, because I'm not in the research, I'm not in the world. It just is interesting to see, I guess, the amount of prescription of it, I think, with people that maybe don't need it. So, yeah, and I just always get curious about, and this is not even related to research, it's more like cultural, like when people have money, they have access to drugs like this. So it just gives people more of like the privilege of being physically attractive if they have more money. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I yeah. simply thought about it from of course. a doctor, um, a doctor yes. perspective. Yes. And I, I mean, think what we're seeing in the news, yeah. though, or like Culture. kind of celebrity world of like quick fix, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of how, how I see it branded. Mm-hmm. But I do think that like any press is good press for something like that. So yeah. I'm curious kind of you're using it for good and under supervision and with the hope of creating a holistically healthier lifestyle. I yeah, think- I think a lot of doctors are really in support of it. They've seen it really work yeah. more than anything that they've ever used or prescribed. Ever. I've also seen it work with binge eating disorder and alcohol abuse. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the GLP-1 receptor would be responsible for an addiction. And they seem to have less cravings in general. Wow. I mean, it's changed people's lives. I would imagine too. I actually was thinking about that where I was like, I guess if you would have the experience of having the GLP-1 receptor being, what is it, antagonized? So it's reduced communication. So GLP-1 agonist and it also uh, right decreases signals of hunger. Right. It does a lot of things. It's, it can improve insulin sensitivity. There may be even some data that it browns white fat, so it makes some fat more metabolically active. Wow. I wonder if you could create new neural pathways. So if you did have an alcohol addiction question. or binge one, yeah, and like then you had this experience of being someone where right. you didn't have that happening and you could really create or perpetuate a better neural pathway that you could use for the rest of your life. That's a great thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get it tested now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about your book, which yes. I'm so excited about. The cover's beautiful. Lindsay and I were reading it. I loved the mindset parts of it. I loved how easy and accessible it was to read. I loved the stories in it. I love that there was enough research where you're like really into it, but it was just such a beautiful book. So congratulations. Aww, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Took two years to write. I'm Amazing. sure. As the two quality years. books do. As they do. <laughs> it, it took Truly. two years to write. There's a ton of references, ton of stories. I, I knew that I couldn't just provide people with what to do and how to do it. There has to be a mindset component. And there has to be a history component. There's a history of why we're seeing some of the information in the media that we see what are the restrictions of what certain food groups can say versus what processed food can say. I think that the history is also really important. That hasn't, I I don't think there's ever been a book like this written. And yeah, I know that if people take a moment to read it, it will change their life. Mm -hmm. It will change their life. Yeah, and it's nice that it's for everyone, every age. Yeah. I feel like people can dip into it, and you mentioned this in the book many times, where it's like it's really never too late. It's not. And no. I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel like, oh, well, the damage is done, and this is kind of how I live my life, and they're so averse to change. And you can really feel and look and be operating so much better in a short period of time if you're yeah, immediately. focused and, immediately. and consistent. Yeah. And it talks about having courage and being adaptable. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How do you figure that out for yourself? Which is something that you have down. Down. Truly. As a mama and badass. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for coming, yeah. for flying out, for being with us, for speaking to our audience, and yeah. for being such a grounded resource for people and someone that just makes 
the information so applicable and easy and really cares about what you do. Thank you guys so much for having me. People can go to my website and mm -hmm. check it out. There is a Forever Strong community, which is really who I want you guys to speak to, which is why I would love for you to come to the event. Yeah. My newsletter, I put a ton of free content out there. Tons. We'll talk about a study on Ozempic. So they can sign up for that. We also have a 30G newsletter, which hopefully you guys would contribute to, 30 grams of protein recipe. Yes, I would oh, love Mama, that. you got recipes on yeah, that? Yeah, got she's you. got it. Okay, so we'll collaborate. Stuff. I'll You pick your favorite recipe. We'll love put it out there. Amazing. And uh, yeah, YouTube, all the places, IG, you know where to find me. Yes. I love your Instagram. It's so easy yeah. to use. Yeah, I love the 30 grams of protein concept. I think I got that from Olivia. Who got that from you, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm a 30G OG. 30G OG. Yeah, we're almost 30 grams of protein. But now we're going to be oh my, That's like hilarious. We'll do an almost 30. Yes. We'll do an almost 30 Done. recipe. Yes. Done. And we'll be like, just kidding, guys. It's actually 30 yes. grams of protein. We should have something where it's like almost 30, but then you add out healthy swaps to make it 30. Yeah. Or above. <laughs> Done. Done. Amazing. Uh, okay, guys, we'll see you soon. We love you. you. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you so much, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Again, that's Gabrielle Lyon on Instagram. Her website is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and the book is Forever Strong. And thank you for subscribing to Almost 30. We have new episodes every single week. So be sure you're subscribed anywhere you listen to podcasts and go to almost30.com. You can learn more about Krista and me. And you can also get involved in our community by joining the membership. This is a place where so many people have found themselves connecting on a level that has really supported their growth, has really revived their just confidence and friendship to be like a healing ground and just like such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we have resources in there like monthly workshops and live hangs, connection with Krista and myself and much more. So I'm really excited to welcome our new members. Go to almost30.com slash membership. But until next time, we love you. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. See ya. Bye.